I'm excited today. I, we have a very special friend. Um, he's a guest, but he's also family. So technically he would be a guest, but not a guest. Um, he's no stranger to this house. I've known Pastor John Morgan for most of my life. Um, he's been a pivotal part in my life as a mentor, as another pastor in my life. And um, he, is, he is all the way from New Zealand. He's a Kiwi, what they call him. Are you Australian or New Zealand? I get this wrong every time. He's an Aussie. It's an offense that I just called him a New Zealander. But we're, we're family, so he can't get mad at me. We're talking on no offense today, right? So he can't be offended. This is literally, we're starting a series called No Offense. Uh, it was a test. It was a test. It was a test. But honestly, he's a pastor in Washington, Word of Life Church, and amazing friend, amazing pastor, an amazing leader. Um, God has really called Pastor John in a lot of ways. He's traveled the globe, done a lot of things with many churches. Uh, he was an, He's an amazing youth pastor, too. I mean, he has been a youth pastor for the days as long. Now he's leading a church um, in Washington, D.C. And so uh, let's thank him. Let's welcome him. Let's welcome Pastor John as he comes to share the word today. My friend, my brother. think that having been here most of somebody's life, they would actually know where I was born. You would think that. You'd think that. I'm actually an American citizen, so I'm not an Australian or a Kiwi. As you can tell by my accent, I'm an American. I might even adopt Texas as my home state. So cool to be here, uh, love your church. As uh, Nate was saying, I've been friends with your pastors and their family for a long time. I always love coming here. It's a, a great church, you've got great leadership. If you're visiting or watching online, haven't visited yet, I wanna encourage you, get along here. This is, uh, this is a great family and you've got great people here at Skybreak Church. How many people love being a part of the family at Skybreak Church? Let's get into the Word of God this morning. I want you to go with me to 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm gonna read the last verse, verse 46, and then go into ver, uh, chapter 19. Verse 46 says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Can't believe he just said I was an Australian, I'm a New Zealander. But I can't be offended. That's why you didn't take me to Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> if you took me to Outback Steakhouse, I would have thought that was racist. <clears throat> he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Verse one, Ahab told Jezebel all that he had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not. I was in the Pentagon the other day. <laughs> do you get much more American than being in the Pentagon? I was in the Pentagon, not as a tourist. I was working in, I said a prayer, probably the most intense 32 second prayer of my life. But you've been in the Pentagon recently? Oh, you haven't. <laughs> 
May the gods do to me more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. I, I wanna speak a little bit today on the whole thought of don't let a negative message mess with your positive momentum. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank You that it gets into our life and penetrates and brings supernatural change from the inside out. That's our prayer today. These men and women have come into Your house today, God, because they wanna leave better going out than when they came in. The only way that that can happen is if You open their ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what You're saying to them individually and to us collectively as Your church. So work with me today. God, give me a prophetic edge and give them an open heart, an open mind, our willingness to hear and to obey Your Word in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, so I flew in uh, to Houston yesterday from Washington, D.C. And I'm always intrigued because I, I don't know if you've flown uh, in the last, whatever, 50 years or so, but pretty much every time you get on a plane, they'll go through the safety instructions and inevitably they're going to make the statement, should the cabin for some reason lose oxygen or pressure, a gas mask will fall from the ceiling. And then they want you to take the gas mask, place it over your face, take the elastic band, secure it firmly and breathe normally. Have anybody heard the instruction I'm talking about? And I would just suggest to you that the whole phrase, breathe normally, is a stupid phrase. Because unless you have an issue today, everyone here has been breathing normally. And the whole concept of breathing normally is that we never thought about it. Like you didn't go to sleep and wake up in the middle of the night, oh, am I breathing? I'm breathing, I can go back to sleep. You didn't, you didn't think when you woke up, I better start breathing now. Most of you haven't even thought about breathing until right this point, right now. And so the moment that you have to breathe normally, you're not breathing Normally, you're abnormally breathing, especially if you're on a plane and it loses pressure. Because I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Everybody on that plane is breathing from the same tank. And that tank has limited supply of oxygen. So I am not breathing normally. I'm breathing heavily. I'm, ah, ah, I'm sucking as much oxygen into my lungs as humanly possible, which is also a safety device. Should I suck enough oxygen into my lungs, my lungs will swell up like a balloon. Should the plane crash, I'll float away. That's how I'm thinking. <laughs> but once you've got to start to think about breathing, you're not breathing normally. If you have shortness of breath, you think about breathing, shortness of breath if you're panning, if you are uh, trying to catch your breath because you've exercised too hard. When I was a, when I was a little boy, you know, just 10, uh, I, I, would, I got a little bit of ADHD plus and uh, I would hyperventilate. I'd get so upset. I'd, be, <laughs> I'd just breathe real far. And, and you know when you're hyperventilating, you're about to pass out, you are not, everyone knows, you're not breathing normally. Normal breathing means that you don't have to think about the breathing. Breathing has its own rhythm. Breathing has its own flow. And God created the rhythm so you don't have to think about it. The fact that you don't have to think about breathing means that you can do some other things. There's a songwriter, her name was Allie Willis, and she was unemployed and got asked to co-write on the 1978 Earth, Wind & Fire Greatest Hits. And one of the songs that she got to co-write was the song September. 
And one of the lines in September is, buddy, yaddy, yaddy. How many people know what I'm talking about? And so that was a fill-in for when uh, the writer, Morris White, didn't have any lyrics to put in. And so they had this sort of cool beat and this thought about September is a very up song, but they had this lyric, Badia, put in there. And so uh, Ali Willis was, as she was writing the song, was trying to replace this line and it never got replaced. And so she went to uh, Morris White to talk about it. And this is what she says. She said, I learned my greatest lesson ever in songwriting from him, which was never let the lyric get in the way of the groove. Never let the phrase get in the way of the groove. I, I like Mark Twain's comment, let, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I used to tell stories about my mother all the time. None of them were true. And when my mother was alive, she'd say to me, son, why are you telling such horrible stories about me? And I'd quote Mark Twain, mum, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. In uh, 2021, uh, Andy Murray was playing in the US Open and uh, he was competing and the scores were level and they're in the last set and he was winning. All momentum was on his side. And so to throw his momentum out, his opponent went and took a toilet break, normally a minute or two, but he took a seven minute toilet break because he knew if he could take a long toilet break, he would get into Andy Murray's head and he would throw him off his momentum and he would regain momentum. Momentum is a powerful thing. Rhythm, momentum and groove are all orchestrated by God. God orchestrates rhythm so we can accomplish things without ever having to think about them or focus on it. A habit is the momentum of a thought pattern. If you convert a thought to action and then you repeat that action consistently, you will develop a habit. And if you then repeat that habit, the momentum created by the habit means that you can accomplish things without giving them any attention at all. The thought is, you know, if you sow a thought, you reap an action, sow an action, you reap a habit, sow a habit, you reap a lifestyle, sow the lifestyle, you reap a destiny. It all begins with a thought, but not just one thought, the repeated thought converted to an action, multiplied over, which means now that you can do things without thinking. There are habits that you have in your life that you just do and you never think about it. Some of you, that's driving to work. Have you ever got somewhere and when you arrived, you thought, I don't really remember driving. <laughs> and again, unless you have an issue with your legs, most of you walked in here today and you didn't think about walking. Now, when you're a baby and you were learning to walk and you're trying to get the rhythm, it was hard work. But eventually you learn how to walk, you learn how to breathe, you learn how to hear, you learn how to talk. All these things created momentum, rhythm, groove in your life. And so now you can do things without thinking. It's God's way of helping you accomplish more. Things that you've never, ever done before. In this chapter here, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He gathered up and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. 
and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. In these four verses, we learn three very important lessons. Lesson number one is that momentum is the great exaggerator. Elijah had just experienced significant victory on Mount Carmel and Mount Carmel, the the meaning of that means garden land or fruitfulness. So he's climbed to the mountain of fruitfulness or abundance and he has positive momentum. The Bible says the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Momentum is the great exaggerator. John Maxwell says, momentum will make you look better than you are and lack of momentum will make you look worse than you are. Elijah has unbelievable momentum and he has such success momentum, it looks like there's no failure in his life. He picks up his tunic and he outruns Ahab's chariot. Ahab is the king. He's got a chariot with horses. Elijah has so much success momentum that he's able to supernaturally outrun the king's chariot to the city. That's how much momentum he has in his life. It almost looks like he can do nothing wrong. That he's got this momentum work in his favour. Second thing that we learn about this from this passage is that it only takes a moment to mess with your momentum. Only takes a moment to mess with your momentum. In verse, uh, first verse of chapter 18, we see Ahab, who is uh, known as Israel's most evil king, speaking to Jezebel, arguably, probably the most evil woman in history, at least church history. If you don't believe me how bad she is, call another Christian woman a Jezebel. Like, like, like on a scale of offensiveness, you're a poo-poo head, is probably a one. You're the daughter of Satan, is probably a five. Jezebel is a 10 for those new Christians. Don't call a woman a Jezebel. That's not gonna be good for you. And so, so we've got ev- this evil king, uh, Ahab, seventh king of the northern kingdom, most evil king in Israel's history, considered the sins of Jeroboam as trivial talking to his wife, this evil woman, about Elijah, arguably uh, Israel's most famous prophet. This is all going down. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, all that Elijah had done. And, And he had done a lot. Much to her chagrin, Elijah actually had done a lot. James says in James chapter five, verse 17 to 18, Uh, Elijah was a man of like nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Verse 18, then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Someone said this, I said, wherever there is motion, there is momentum. Now between these two verses, 17 and 18 in James. We have Elijah praying that there would be drought 
and it happened. No rain, and there's no rain for three and a half years. Now in that three and a half years, a lot of things happen. He's got momentum. He steps out of obscurity. You can't find him before the first verse of, of the passage of that scripture. And he just steps out and he prophesies in Ahab's court, there's gonna be no dew nor rain until I say so. Ahab had converted the nation of Israel to Baal worship away from God worship. And worshipping Baal was a weather god. They believed that Baal controlled the storms, Baal controlled the seasons. That was incredibly important to an agricultural society. And so he steps out and he says, you say your God controls the weather. I'm telling you my God controls the weather. There'll be no dew nor rain till I say so. And it stopped like a legit prophet, not the prophet we have in for you're a people, my people, prop. No, this is legit. There's no rain nor dew till I say so. And it stops. Now that's just one. Then he goes to a brook. He's sent to the brook sheriff and he's supernaturally fed. God tells him to go there by ravens and the brook. And then when the brook runs out, God tells him, go to the widow at Zarephath's house and she'll supply you. He rocks up at her house. She's making a meal ready to die, but God has spoken to her. He says, give me to eat first. She gives him a meal that she's about to eat and die. She trusts God, trusts the prophet, and then she's supernaturally supplied through the drought, lives through the drought. In the middle of a drought, her son dies and Elijah raises her son from the dead. So he's prophesied drought. He's been sustained by a brook with supernatural food by ravens. He's gone to the widow's house. Now her whole family is being supplied food. He raises her son from the dead. He's got miracles happening in miracle momentum. He confronts Ahab and Ahab calls him the troubler of Israel. He says, I'm not the troubler of Israel, you are. He said, now gather the people from Israel and all the prophets of Baal, let's meet up on a mountain. They climb up onto Mount Carmel and he has a challenge. He says, let your gods call down fire and I'll call on my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Prophets of Baal, over 400 of them, make an altar. They cut up the bull, they put it on their altar. Uh, Elijah digs the trench, he cuts up the wood, he makes an altar, lays a bull on the wood, he sets it aside and he says, okay, you guys call on your God. They're like, calling on their God. And the Bible says that Elijah, because he's nothing, mocks them. And depending on the translation you read, the mocking is funny. Like one translation is like, what's wrong with your God? Is he on a holiday? Another Bible translation says, what's wrong with your God? Has He gone to the potty? Has He gone to the toilet? And, and, and no one answers, no fire comes down. And then Elijah goes to God and calls out and then fire comes down from heaven. It takes everything out. Sacrifice, wood, rocks, water. And everyone's like, the God, He is God, He is. Then he single-handedly executes the prophets of Baal. Kills 450 men executes the prophets of Baal by, by, by the river. And then he says to his servant, let's go up, we're gonna pray for rain. He prays for rain, six times, nothing happens. His servant comes back, sorry man, went out there, there's no rain, go back again. So he goes back and he comes back in, six times the servant's doing that, sorry man, nothing, go back again, I'm going, going back. On the seventh time he goes back and he sees a, a cloud the size of a man's hand. He comes back, well, not a lot out there, but don't yell at me again. Because John Morgan's not alive and he hasn't preached on a fence yet, and so I don't know. But I'd rather you yell at me at the cloud than call me a New Zealander. But either way, and, <laughs> but I saw a cloud 
And she goes, come on, let's go. I I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. So now he's prophesied drought, verse 17. He comes to verse 18. Now he's prophesied rain and it rains. And then he outruns Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. But look at Jezebel's response. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. It only takes a moment to mess with your momentum. He has so much success momentum that this one bad woman says, you know what, I know you've done all that. I don't care, I'm gonna take you out. I'll take you out by tomorrow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess with you by tomorrow. And this one word from this one woman destroyed his momentum. I don't encourage you, never let a negative moment, never let a negative mention, never let a negative misunderstanding, never let a negative misdemeanor, never let anything like that mess with your positive momentum. Paul put it like this, he says, therefore also since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He says, listen, you're running the race, keep your momentum. It's not a short sprint, it's a marathon. You don't have to run faster than anybody else. You don't have to outrun anybody, just be at your pace. Run it your way, your flow, but just keep running, don't stop. And if you don't wanna get bogged down, lay aside the sin, that's everything that you do, that's a failure, and lie down every weight, that's something somebody else does to you, that's a failure. If you can lay those things down, you can run the race with endurance and you can win your race. But don't let somebody else's thing mess with your momentum. And so here Elijah was a hero and now he feels like, A zero. Instead of standing, he's now running for his life. And Elijah allows the lyric of Jezebel to get in and mess with his groove. Don't let someone else's lyric get in the way of your rhythm. Don't let somebody else's get in the way of your rhythm. Don't let discouragement get in the way of your rhythm. Don't let people discourage you. Don't let discouragement get in your way. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. How how discouraging has this got to be to Elijah? Shouldn't Ahab told Jezebel all that God had done? He called on God for drought and drought. He calls on God for fire, fire. He calls on God for rain, rain. And there's no change, nothing changes here. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Elijah allows Jezebel's message to suck the courage out of his life. People are gonna let you down. People are gonna disappoint you. Uh, They're gonna be your friend one day and they're gonna be your enemy the next day. If we learn anything out of 2020, (laughs) 
Was there some people going to love you in 2019? And they are thinking you're the son or daughter of Satan in 2020. It's just the way people are. People are fickle. If you're a leader here today, you've got to get used to that. Year one of Jesus' ministry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Year two of Jesus' ministry. By what authority do you say those things? Year three of Jesus' ministry. Crucify him, crucify him. The people that cheered him one moment were questioning him the next and then crucifying him the next. You can't allow discouragement to get in your spirit. If you make it through the crucifixion, you'll experience a resurrection and at some point you'll get an ascension and you'll get some authority and sit at the right hand of God. <laughs> Nehemiah was on a mission to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and while he is rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, Samballat, Tobiah and Geshem, they, they come to him and they start questioning him and mocking him about what he's building. And they're trying to use their words to destroy Nehemiah's momentum and they come to him four times that way but he says to them at most time and time again I'm not going to let you mess with my momentum I'm not going to let your words I, I, I got a mission here to do I know you're negative but I'm going to ignore you I'm not going to allow your discouraging words to enter my spirit I don't know who's trying to discourage you at, at the moment but I, I want to encourage you not to let anybody discourage you Over the years, I, I've learned as a pastor, people will come up and they go, hey, pastor, everybody is saying. Everybody is saying they don't like that song. Everybody is saying the music's too loud. Everybody's saying they don't like this. Every, everybody, every, everybody, everybody, have you heard the everybody? Everybody's saying, I love that. Everybody's saying, everybody? Like everybody. Like my wife told you that. Well, no, she didn't tell me that. Nathan told you that? Well, no, Pastor Nathan never said that. Kendall said it? No. Jared? No. Anybody? Anybody else? Kendra? No. Pastor Danny was saying that? No. Pastor Jan Janet was saying that? No. Who, who was saying? Who, who? I just mentioned 10 people. <laughs> None of them are saying it. Who's, who's everybody? We're in the season of pronouns. Everybody is the pronoun for the Christian for me. I now identify myself as everybody. <laughs> and when I say it, everybody is saying it. So don't let discouragement rob you of your momentum. Here's the second thing. Don't, don't let offence get in the way of your momentum. Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time Tomorrow, she sends a messenger, a person with a word. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So your words have the ability to be seeds of life or seeds of death. You've got to view your words like bullets, and you've got to view somebody else's words like bullets, but they're invisible, and they're going to hit you. Remember when we were little, we'd say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Anybody remember that? That's, that's a lie. It's not true. Words are far more hurtful than 
a stick or a stone. And I'm not saying no one's ever been injured by a stick or a stone, but I've been doing ministry over 30 years and not once in counselling, not once. Not once. In all the people I've spoke to, they've walked into my office like, Pastor, I got hit with a stick (laughs) when I was three. And now my life is messed up. I have a fear of wood. And trees, I walk past trees, and then I got hit with a rock. I can't even live on a mountain. I don't even like rock music. This is terrible. Never once, not not once. In never had a stick or a stone. I'm not saying that you that hasn't happened. I'm just saying I've never. But but dozens of times, people have sat down. My mum told me I was ugly. My parents told me I was unwanted. My wife told me she didn't love me. My children said this. My spouse said this. My boss said this. The kids at school said that. Words that have come into people's spirits and absolutely destroyed them from the inside out. No stick or stone hurt. Elijah, but a word. I'm gonna kill you by this time tomorrow. And that one phrase made him run for his life, made him wanna quit, made him wanna stop. Her lyric got in the way of his groove. And today, we're being set up. We're being set up to think a certain way. Because if we can control your thoughts, we can control your actions. It's a biblical principle. My personal opinion, I'm not an end time doctrine expert. So this is not end time doctrine for all you end time doctrine lovers and experts, awesome. (laughs) But my personal opinion is that we're misguided with the whole concept of the mark of the beast. We teach the mark of the beast as a physical mark that you'll receive in your head and in your hand and that you'll trade with it. And so anytime there's a silicon chip or the bank card or the MasterCard came out or anytime there's cashless society, you know, we go, well, that's the mark of the beast. And I think it's a distraction from the truth because the Bible, you can either interpret it literally or with allegory. And in Revelation chapter 13, when you're talking about a beast and monsters coming out of the ocean, we go into allegory. We talk about, well, that's a system. Then we go to the mark of the beast and immediately we go into literal. That's a literal thing you do. And it doesn't say that you'd buy and sell with it. It just says you can't buy and sell without it. So you can't technically move into a country and set up a business without a visa. You don't trade with the visa, but you can't trade without the visa. The visa gives you permission to trade. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego didn't go along with the visa of the moment. We're not gonna bow down to your, they tried to educate them the way you think, your forehead. They tried to educate, they got their language, they got their culture, they got their religion, tried to change the way that they think, the end result in the way that they behave, head and hands. Daniel is the Old Testament book of Revelation and it's allegory, it's a picture of what's gonna happen. And so society is trying to set you up to control the way we think so they can control the way we operate. The mark of the beast to me is a lot more subtle, a lot more subtle. And there's gonna come a time when we're gonna be forced to conform to the way of thinking and the way it's already happening. You don't don't agree with us, we'll cancel you. 
We'll take you out. We'll rise up. We'll stop you from operating. We'll stop you from functioning. Why? If I can get enough people offended by what you, uh, I want to encourage you. Don't let them set you up to be easily offendable. We're, we're offended by assumption. You're offended by your own filter. It's not always what someone says that's offensive, it's how you hear it. Not what you say, not even your words. I was preaching in Minneapolis and uh, after I finished preaching, this girl wrote me a big email. She said, when you were preaching, you said that Peter denied Jesus like a little girl. And she said, I was offended because girls can do what guys can do. And, and then she sent me all these articles on fight like a girl and lead like a girl and all this girl stuff. And so I wrote back and said, thank you for at least addressing it and so I can address you back. I said, I just want to encourage you. I have three daughters and a wife who's doing her doctorate right now. and All three of them feel supported by me and I'm trying to encourage them to be all that they can be. I said, if you'll go back and re-listen to the message, you'll hear I never said what you thought I said. I said, Peter denied Jesus to a little girl, which is exactly what happened. To a little girl, not like. To and like are two totally different things. But her filter didn't hear the word to. Her filter blocked out somewhere and put the word like in there. And now she's like, at me because she's offended by something I never said. I never said it. She was offended by her own filter. Her brain offended her. I was never in the conversation. It was self-offence. But her set of assumptions taught her to be offended. Accusation, you're offended on somebody else's behalf. You're not even offended by you, you're offended by because of something that happened to somebody else. Action, you're offended by what has been done. You Anticipation, you just walk in expecting somebody to offend you. And then attitude. Your attitude is a judgmental, critical. You've been set up to be offended by everything and anything. If I, again, well, you've, got to, you've got to use the right pronoun talking to me. How do I, looking at you, how do I know? Like I'm not meaning to call you by the wrong pronoun. As a Christian, I've decided now, I don't care about the pronoun, but I would like to be responded to by, by the right phrase. Like if you need the right pronoun, I wanna be responded to by the right phrase. And if I use the wrong pronoun, I'd still like you to use the right phrase, like thank you and you're welcome. But here in society, we're so set up to be like, that hurts me, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to offend you. I just didn't know. I had no idea. But, they, but our attitude has been set up. If you don't agree with me, then you hate me. Disagreement is now hate speech. I never said I hated you. My mother never hated me. When I was away from God and running from God and drunk every day and crashed my car two or three times and caused my mum havoc for five years of my life, not at one point did I ever think to myself, my mum hates me. And not at one point in my life did I ever think my mum condones my behaviour. 
All through those five years, I knew my mum didn't agree. How did I know? Because I'd go to the nightclub and my mum would yell out, have a horrible night. So I knew, it wasn't a guess, but I never once doubted that she loved me. I remember after my second car accident, her bathing my face and she said to me, I don't always love what you do, but you'll never stop me from loving you. Because she could separate her thoughts from her love for me. And we're like that as a church. We don't dislike people or hate people. We love people, but we've got standards that we wanna live in for God. And so I can disagree with you, but I can still love you. Don't be set up to be anything like that. We're out of time right now. So for the band, I don't know if they're gonna come up and play something romantic behind me. <laughs> You're already there, that's awesome. Thank you for that. This is the international sign for John's nearly finished. <laughs> we do this as a, like a community service for all the ADHD people. Because you're there like, is he nearly done? Is he nearly done? Is he nearly done? They get up there and it's like, ah, oh, he's nearly done. <laughs> this is like spiritual Ritalin to the soul. That's, that's what that is, just helps us all. Helps me know I'm nearly done. So how do you respond when somebody does? Because people are gonna say things that are offensive. I'm gonna kill you by this time tomorrow. Well, I, I'd encourage you, number one, don't curse it. Don't curse it. I just... Can't believe you said that about me. I'll teach you a lesson. I'll show you. That makes me angry. That's offensive. This is horrible. Like anything can be offensive now. If I do, if I got to take, I can't do foreign accents, and I'm good at it. <laughs> a few years ago, you could do foreign accents at any time. Now, you don't even. I can do a Chinese accent. You're not even Asian, but you're offended because I did an Asian accent, and you're American. But you're offended. I can't believe you did, did that. But offence is a choice. Don't curse it. Don't decide, ooh, that offends me. Like if you walk up to me today and you go, G'day mate, how you going? Chuck another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be like... Oh. Are you trying to sound like me? Because it hurts my feelings. No, I'm not offended because I just think it's funny. You don't even sound Australian, you sound British. <laughs> and the British sent us to Australia as slaves and prisoners. That's how we got there. If anybody should be offended, it should be me. <laughs> don't curse it. Don't get angry. Second thing, don't nurse it. Don't feed it. Don't surround yourself with people that agree with your negative opinion. You start nursing it, feeding it. It doesn't take anything to gather some negative people around you. Don't rehearse it. Don't go over it and over it and over it and over it in your head. Because the more you think about it, the bigger that thing grows. Like you go to uh, David fighting Goliath and he goes to his brothers and they can give the description how tall he is, bronze greaves, his shaft of his spears like a weaver's beam, how big his shield is, bronze. They could describe him in detail, not because they're into fashion. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, look, he's got bronze greaves, that's fantastic. No, they weren't into fashion. They were doing it because detail, they were intimidated. They rehearsed it over and over in their head. 
When you rehearse it, it gets bigger. You walk into the church and uh, Pastor Nate looks at your shoes and he sees a bit of toilet paper attached to your shoe. Shouldn't be there. And so like, oh, look at your shoes. And he just keeps walking and you don't even look down. Because you know you haven't polished those shoes. You don't know you've got toilet paper on there, but you think I didn't polish my shoes. Can't believe he just looked at my shoes when I didn't polish my shoes. I should have polished my shoes, but I didn't polish my shoes. You're sitting in service, he's preaching. You're looking at his shoes. You don't hear anything he's saying. Look at his shoes, they're not even leather. He's got tennis shoes on. Oh, look, sneakers. I wonder if he's been on preachers with sneakers. That's all you can focus on. You get in your car, you put your foot down in your car, say to your husband or your wife, Pastor Nathan saw my shoes today, he didn't like my shoes, he hates shoes. By the time you get home, he just hates everybody with shoes. He hates people with shoes. He wants everybody to come to church barefoot. He hates people, he probably hates people with feet. He hates feet. He probably hates everybody. He probably hates the whole, he hates people. Pastor Nate is a people hater. That's where you got to from get the toilet paper off your foot. Learn how to reverse it and disperse it. Realise that offence is never going to help you. It's only ever going to trouble you. You've got Elijah who has all this momentum, gets one bad word from one bad woman and now he's sitting on a broom tree. I quit. I give up. I want to die. I can't move forward. Life is over for me. When you stand to your feet right now. We had our church some years back in a nightclub and we'd have to clean it out before we could have church in it. It's the only building in town. We ended up owning it as a church. But, but I remember we was cleaning it down one day and the bar, they had this like ledge and I lifted up the ledge and there was a sticker on the inside of the ledge. Had it been written a couple hundred years earlier, it might have been a proverb. But it said, life is too short to dance with ugly men. I wonder what ugly words you've been dancing with. I wonder what ugly words you've held close and you've waltzed through life with. I wonder what hearsay, I wonder what rumour. If you're watching us online, I wonder what gossip or accusation has been labelled against you. I wonder what discouragement has come your way. What offence that you've taken on board years ago and it still impacts you today. You're dancing with an ugly man. You're dancing with an ugly offence. You're dancing with an ugly hurt. Jesus told us to come to Him and pray, Father, forgive me my sins as I equally forgive those who sin against me. That phrase is not about giving people a pardon. That phrase is about you running your race. Step before you laying aside the sin. Father, forgive me my sin and the weight as I forgive those who sin against me. And run with endurance your life set and your head set towards Jesus. Father, forgive me my sin. I've messed up. Father God, help me to forgive those who've offended me those who've wounded me, those who've been detrimental to my life. I wonder who I'm talking to today. You either need one or two of those prayers or both prayers. 
somebody here today and you need the Father, help me to forgive them. They do not know what they were doing. And you've carried that offence, you've carried that discouragement, you've carried that thing with you for a long time, you've carried those words, you've carried that hurt. And listen to me, please listen to me. I'm not belittling what they did. You felt the weight, that's why you're still carrying it. So I'm not telling you just forget about it, but I am telling you to forgive them. Why? Because it'll set you free. You can get to that. That's the strength of our Christianity is that we can forgive those that hurt us. We can forgive those that discourage us. We can forgive those that offend us. We can forgive those who let us down. We can move on and our wings are like shields of steel. We can just move through. We've got the height of a rhinoceros and the heart of a marshmallow. We're tough on the outside, soft on the inside. Why? Because we've learned how to forgive. Can we all close our eyes and pray this prayer with me? If you're a Christian here today or new to church here today and you need to forgive somebody, we're gonna pray a corporate prayer together. In a moment, the band's gonna come, we're gonna worship. But if you need to forgive somebody today, make this your prayer. Say this with me, say, Dear Jesus, I come to You today and I'm asking for Your grace and I'm asking for Your mercy to be on my life right here, right now. Please give me the strength to forgive, the ability to move on. I need Your help. It's not easy. So let Your love and let Your grace flood into my life. I refuse to be tripped up by offence, to be tripped up by discouragement, to be tripped up by somebody else's hurt or the things that they do. So I cling to You today, my eyes fixed on You. I regain my momentum in this moment to be all that You've created me to do and all You've created me to be. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Can you keep your eyes closed for a moment? Just keep it closed for a moment. We can clap in a second. Thank you for that. Because um, I know why you're clapping. You're clapping to encourage people. So that's a good thing. Um, but the first one was that you need forgiveness. I don't know everybody's story online. I don't know everybody's story here. But if you're here today and you're like, I am not right with God. I'm a far way away from heaven. And I need a fresh start in my life and relationship with Him. I've never prayed. I've never asked Jesus in my life or I prayed once. I did that years ago and I walked away because I was offended in church or hurt by somebody and something went wrong in my world and, and uh, I need a fresh start. If that's you right now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, just thinking about you, if that's you, can you say, yeah, John, that's me. And, and say it to God, just lift your hand up real high and uh, just say it to God, just say, that's me today. I need a fresh start in my life and relationship with God. We're gonna pray that prayer in just a second and lead you in prayer. Just lift it real high with me today. God bless you. I can see hands going up. God bless you, a hand over here. Hands are going up. God bless you. God bless you as you raise your hand. Anybody else, just lift it real high towards God and say, God, that's me. I need a brand new beginning today. I need to let the past go. I need to turn my back on my failures and the things I've done wrong and I, I need God's love to come into my world. Last time I'm asking and then we're going to pray. Lift it up real high. Someone's going to see it. We see it. God sees it. That's what matters. You can put it down. Let's all pray this prayer. If you lifted your hand, really wish you would have. Pray this with me, but everybody pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to You right now and I'm asking You for a fresh start in my life and my relationship with You. 
please come into my world and bring supernatural change from the inside out. Please forgive me for all my sin and today make all things new. Heal me, change me, lead me and help take control of my life. In Jesus' Name, Amen. If you just made a decision to invite God into your life, we would love to know. If you could text us at SCSAVE to 97000, we would love to help equip you with some next steps for you to take along this journey. This message was a blessing to your life and you'd like to help support Skybreak financially, you can give online using Skybreak Church app or skybreakchurch.com. We'd love for you to join us in person next Sunday right here at 9.15. Until then, we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.